Blog Talk Radio. Bingo. Good morning, friends. This is your host, Dr. Deb Carlin, and I am here with my good friend and co-host, Mr. Richard Flint. And I think that we seem to be starting our show being um, frozen in the moment. I'm not sure. And I see that our our uh, Zoom has gone black for the second. Are you there, Richard? <laughs> I am here. It said you had gone away. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So welcome to Block Talk Radio, where we do the K Factor, where K equals kindness. And the factors are all the things that lead to it. And the show that Richard and I do started out, I guess we've been doing this for about two months now. Pretty close. And uh, we started out by calling it Tuesday Talks with Richard Flint and Dr. Dub Carlin. And we've been been looking at what it is that our message and our mission is here. And we've decided to brand this show called No Apologies. And you give them the tagline on it, my friend. Well, that it's open and honest discussions about everything that's affecting our society today. And yeah. this is one of the challenges we have is that uh, there seems to be a lot of uh, dishonesty on every front and uh, a lot of wish-washing. Uh, this is what I said yesterday, but it doesn't fit the narrative today. So here's what I'm going to say today. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, um, what do people really believe? What do they stand for? And what are we in reaction supposed to believe and know what to stand for? Because I think I know what I stand for, but I don't know who to believe in terms of what they're saying. And just when I start to get confidence in somebody, they do or say something that shakes my confidence. Or... Yeah, it goes back to my little three words. That's the title of one of my 19 books, and that's Behavior Never Lies. Behavior Never Lies. And what I what I see today, Deb, that just drives me up a wall is we live in a world of it's it used to be a world of half truths. Today it's no longer half truths. It's just lies. That does seem to be actually be the absolute truth. That seems I'm, to be the truth. And, and you know, say anything you want to me, but if your behavior doesn't match what you're saying to me, then you're lying to me. Yeah. How can someone like a Pelosi or a Schumer, you know, you go back two or three years and they said this. Now today that narrative doesn't fit because of their hatred toward President Trump. So they changed the narrative. So it makes me ask, who are you? Which of these is the real you? And it, it just seems like that authenticity today is just out the window. That it's it's a message uh, that's not designed to convey truth to people. It's a message designed to, in my ways, just create a society of hypocrisy. Well, I'm finding myself really um, perplexed by a number of things. I agree with you 100% on that. And I, on both sides, both the Republican side and the, and the Democratic side, and I don't like it that there's sides. It's one country. You know, I thought, I thought that when I was being raised 
that it was um, with liberty and justice for all, and it was one 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 nation united. And yet, it it looks to me like right now, somebody said to me earlier today, you know, I think we're going to have a revolution, and I said I think we are in a in a revolution. Um, it looks to me today like we focus more on, uh, well, we're focusing on two things. We're focusing on the behaviors of leadership and we're focusing on issues, but it's hard to say what is predominant because I don't think that anybody who's in front of the camera on the news media or in, in a political office should really feel proud of the way that they're behaving it, it is even if you're even if I'm in agreement with you about the issue I really want you to talk nice I really want you to stop calling names this bullying and this demoralization has got to stop and and the other thing that in, in my opinion has got to stop is the denial stop denying what is happening stop denying that we've got We've got uh, criminal behavior of looting and destruction taking place around the country. I do not want to hear out of leadership mouths that people are just working it out. There's very few real riots. It was only six blocks in Portland or Seattle that were taken over. Really? Seriously? I don't care if it was one block. I don't care if it was one building or house or business. Um, I don't want there to be a denial that we have got protests and demonstrations that are right on the verge of really genuine looting taking place in private neighborhoods coming from the city and now coming up into the suburbs. Why are we denying this? Why aren't we addressing the issues? I don't understand why people aren't talking about it. We have gun sales at record levels. I'm, I'm, I'm affiliated with two gun businesses that supply and sell guns and ammunition. And both of them are continually running out of inventory and wondering where the next batch comes from. But people are buying weaponry and arming themselves at a record rate. So what are all these people just making it up? They're paranoid for no reason? No, they see things. And if they don't see it on the news, they see it in their neighborhood or they see it in their city, somewhere in their community, and they have come to feel threatened. Why don't we have why don't we have our entire government, local, state, and federal, why don't we have them all talking about it and talking about what the potential uh, solutions are? And now I don't know. Did I disappear? Yeah. Did I disappear again? Yeah, you did. You said you got said you got muted. Someone doesn't like what you're saying, so they're controlling this. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm really glad that we're aligned today with our same colored shirts on and glasses <laughs> and big hair. Yeah, yeah blood blood red today. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Because I'm feeling, I, I'll tell you, I'm feeling pinched by all the nonsense out here and by exercising our freedoms to talk about it. Well, but you only have the right to talk about it if I agree with you. If I don't agree with you, 
then in our culture today, you don't have the right to talk about it. And uh, yeah. you know, when, when I look at when I look at what's going on out there today, because I am a, a student of terminology, I, I love words, and I, uh, I I love taking words and putting them into a modern context to see how they fit. And to me, uh, there's terms out there today that a whole bunch of people want to erase. Like the term integrity. They want to erase that. What well, is integrity anymore? Well, integrity is doing what you know is the right thing, whether anybody's watching you or not. Well, do you think that that word is sort of being erased? No, <laughs> I think it's not being practiced. But don't pull out that eraser. <laughs> but I, what I see out there today is, you know, integrity to me involves speaking the truth. Yes. Okay. So if I know it's not true, but I'm going to say it because my agenda, one of anger or hatred, but I'm calling this truth, that affects my integrity. 100%. If, yeah. If I need to be held accountable, but I want to blame you because I don't want to be held accountable because it's it's our President Trump's fault. That's everything in our society today. No matter what it is, it's his fault. Was having lunch the other day and was having some fish and chips. Fly put in, flew into the tartar sauce. I looked at that fly. That's President Trump's fault. No, that's how ridiculous it's gotten, Deb. <laughs> well, it, people don't want to be responsible. They don't want to be accountable. So what's happening to integrity today? It used to be my word is my body. It used to be you could do business. You and I go into business. I put my hand out there. You put your hand yep. out there. We take hands. Yes. That's, that's done. That's yeah. a done deal. And you and I are still doing that, by the way. You and I have done that with one another. And you and I still believe in doing that with people, but yeah, that is that is um, that is a treasure. And and by the way, I I um I'm I'm really delighted that there are still people that I do that with. But I am but I have to tell you, I'm heart crushed that I met with people, even here in 2020, that I thought I knew, like and trusted, and they have blown the deal, whether there was a written agreement or not. Let alone a handshake, just backed away. So I was thinking about this this morning. All right. What is the opposite of hate? Well, I want to say love. <laughs> Bingo! You win the prize. Because I think the opposite of hate is love. Yeah. And now, yet, which one of those two is more predominant in our country today? Oh my gosh, hatred times one million. It, it it it. You know what? When before we went on the air, I you asked me how I was today, and I said I woke up anxious, and you said why, and I started talking about things I've got to get done and things I need to accomplish. But you want to know what the real core of the truth is? None of that is heavy on my heart and on me psychologically and on my spirit 
outside of the vibe of the earth, which is all about the hatred. I can feel it. Well, it's, it's everywhere you go. Yeah. For me, hatred is an emotion that comes from the outside in. Love is an emotion that comes from the inside out. Yeah. And if I, if I have love, I have integrity. If I have love, I have truth. If I have love, hold me accountable, hold me responsible. But if I have hatred, I don't want any of those other things. And it, it's almost like we've moved from a society that is inwardly driven to a society that is outwardly reactive. You know, I love the way that our relationship is, the way that our minds come to meet here every Tuesday, that the talks that we have in between times are much the same. And that is that you take concepts that I've thought about and you reshape them and you present them from your perspective. And I always get yet then another fresh new perspective. I had never thought about love coming from the inside and hate coming from the outside. But I have always believed, and that's interesting, I have always believed that everyone, every infant brought into the world is brought in in love with love inside of them from from birth. However, let me say, I think that they're brought into the world with the capacity for love because we have got so many children now who, and I guess that this is true through the ages, children who were conceived not in love, but in, in, in rage or in something less than an intentional pursuit. And those, those can still be children who are brought into the world and, and welcomed in love. But I believe that everybody comes in with, with an enormous capacity to love. But if you come in with love and you proceed with love, you will have experiences in your life of hatred coming at you. And when you try to deliver love back, you're considered to be fraud. You're too good to be true. That can't possibly be. How can you possibly love? Because they don't believe in love. So I think that one of the reasons we've got so much hatred in our world is because we have such a breakdown on core family values, core American goodness values. And when I say core American values, I, I have to include our, our legacy of, of where it is that our ancestors came from. You know, my ancestry of Austria and Poland and, and Sweden and a little bit in France the legacies there of love that enabled my parents to come in and, and, and know love. Although my mother had a horrible story about her, you know, feeling loved and her experience of childhood, but she still brought all three of us children into a world of love. So she, she, she came through that, but it was her struggle to come through that. But I think that, and then she established what, the core American and Polish and Austrian values were that she had known. She was just brutalized in the middle of them, but you know, home and family and, and food and clothing and bedding and protection and all that. Uh, We have so many people, I think in our culture, Richard, that they're just not, 
they're not recipients of that and they don't trust that it exists. So to go out and destroy, I would really like to see where some of these people who are doing the destruction live. Where have they resided? How were they treated where they resided? Or did they, was it lovely, but they got, they went to school somewhere and they got brainwashed by something. I mean, have you heard that some of the people involved with, with the really heinous destruction are educators, they're teachers in our schools? Well, that's a, that's a foundation of this. And this has been coming for years is that we have put so many Marxist philosophies in, 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 in the classroom with teachers and they're no longer teaching. They're indoctrinating. And, and, and they're taking the mind and this is, you know, this is what Hitler did. This is what, you know, the whole world of communism is about. It's about indoctrinating the minds of people. And it's not indoctrinating their mind with love. It's indoctrinating their mind with hate. Well, when did this start? Because I went to grade school in the 60s. <clears throat> I was in high school uh, for the first couple years of the 70s. And we, I mean, the theme was really critical thinking skills and love and honor your mother and father and be obedient to your teachers and the principal and the hall monitors and be nice to one another. And bullying was, you know, I I think I remember two incidences of bullying and, um, you know, it did, it was, it certainly wasn't prevalent. There wasn't any weaponry or anything like that. There was a, certainly nothing in my grade school, which is a public grade school in Chicago, in the city, and then a private high school. And, and it was, everybody knew everybody. There was no anonymity there. And, 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 you know, we were learning religion in, in my high school and we studied all the religions of the world. And, and, and part of your senior project was to make your proclamation of what you believed. And I naively believed at the time, but appropriate for, for a teenager, for an adolescent, that I was a, a secular humanist. You know, organized religion, you know, wasn't groovy to me. Now, I got pushback from my teachers about that, from their faculty, you know, that religion was important. It was a community. But they didn't push it on me. My mom didn't push and press. My parents just exposed me and, and helped me explore knowing and trusting that I would come back to what was our family values, you know? So I returned to the scene of my mother's practice as a Catholic, my father's practice as an agnostic who was actually a man of deep faith. But I don't, so when did this start? And what, what is the curriculum with the hatred? I mean, I don't get it. What is that? Well, this has been a very slow, slow process because in order to create, um, the presence that they have, you just don't walk in and do it. It's a slow process where you start to eat away at the moral fiber of a person or a country. And if, if you look back over the years, how, you know, those words, uh, one nation under God, those words in God we trust, uh, the, the right to pray in public and pray in schools. All of those were about having a, a, a foundation, a moral foundation that was, was based on 
a belief in God. And slowly what's happened, they have nibbled away at that. You know, when uh, when they took away prayer in schools, uh, that began to change the cultural uh, appearance of what a school was. Yeah, it did. When, uh, when, when we began to... Uh, at the university level, because uh, that's a big part of it today. And I remember when I was teaching at the university level, uh, I would get into these disagreements with professors who their whole thing was about uh, the wrongness uh, of the Bible, the wrongness of the, the Ten Commandments, the wrongness of that, you know, people should be free. We have free will. And it's just been a slow process of nibbling away at the moral fiber of this country. And it's, you know, it's just been slowly coming about. And now uh, you don't have to hide it. These professors don't hide it. It's just blatant. And universities won't step up and won't confront the behavior uh, I think in life, Deb, I think we either repeat or we rise above our history. And I think today we're not rising above yesterday. We say we are because the Black Lives Movement is about rising above. It's about equality. Yeah, see, I, you know what, I, I have to say the thing that that really frightens me about the Black Lives Movement is I think that it it might have started out from a place of equality and people remembering the civil rights marches that were peaceful and and wanting to have unity and and whites and blacks wanting to have their friendships and their and their cohabiting um, in in the in the country you know not only cohabiting by living together although that's part of it. But people wanted to be able to integrate and, and mingle and not feel threatened or, or castigated or ostracized for that. But Black Lives Matter today feels very much to me like reverse discrimination. And, and I certainly feel heavy discrimination as a white female. And, and, I, and, I, and I, have, I have felt it for years, actually. And there have been times when I've been bold enough to speak out and to say to somebody who was um, black and was making commentary towards me or treating me in a in an aggressive manner and 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 saying, "Okay, let me just tell you what this feels like. It sure does feel like reverse discrimination. Why are you discriminating against me? Because." You know, I'm thinking that you're a person of color who doesn't want there to be racism. Tell me what I've done to be offensive to you. Nothing. But yet you're assuming an offense of me because you're looking at the color of my skin. Now, is that not racism? When people come into the cities, let's use Chicago, for example. You come into Chicago and you go down to Michigan Avenue and it's beautiful and it's and it's affluent and it's abundant and and so you decide that you are going to 
riot and loot and and there's a, a a percentage of blacks and there's a percentage of whites and they're all destroying it and I'm thinking what does this have to do with with racial justice what does this have to do with equality and you're destroying the businesses of blacks as well as whites I don't understand what this is but it is perceived to be a white part of our culture of our society and I and it, and that's just not true anymore. We do have affluence in the black community. We do have success in the black community. We had a black uh, uh, president. We have black legislators. We have black Supreme Court justices. We have you know we have black leadership in our police departments. So it's it's kind of like it, it, I was thinking about this last night. There comes a point in time when if you have someone in your life who's so insecure and you call them up and you say, hey, you, you know, do you, would you like to go out to dinner tonight? Really? Do you really mean it? Do you really want me there? Because I'm just not feeling like you really do. Okay. Uh, yeah, I really do. Well, I'm just not sure. I just, I just, you know, I just can't quite believe it. All right, well, how many times do you want me to to come to you and invite you in? Because you're, of course, accepted. I think that people have been apologizing so much that we have lost sight. I mean, when I see, when I see these people who are now coming out and people are eating outside at outdoor cafes and there are rioters that stampede them, pick up their drinks off the table, drink out of their glass, throw the liquid at them, fling their food, eat their food, turn over tables, scream at people, say their name, say their name, say, you know, say Black Lives Matter. And they're screaming and demanding and commanding it. I'm thinking, now, wait a second. Is this supposed to be about unifying us? Because I think this is about bullying. And what are you bullying for? What is your agenda? Where has it flipped? Because we've had the conversation before, Richard. Why, why is it, why is it okay for any part portion of our of our civilization, which means a civilized society, to be attacking of the other? You know, people say that the police are brutalizing blacks. Well, <laughs> look at some of the footage beyond the the three-minute clip on somebody's phone, play the whole 12 minutes or the whole 24 minutes because the police officers are wearing these cameras that they can't turn on and off. Let's look at the whole footage before we start making a judgment. Let's start putting the whole picture into context and stop apologizing for trying to arrest people who are running at you. There There was one case recently where there was a guy coming out of a, you know, there's a call for help. The police answer the call. They get there. The guy comes running out of his apartment, wielding a knife. It didn't go well. And then it turns out, okay, he had mental illness. He was off of his meds. Okay, well, I have an idea. How about if instead of blaming the police officers, we take a look at what what, what can we do as a culture about mental health? You and I are mental health experts. Don't you and I agree that the deinstitutionalization of America was one of the worst mistakes made. Why didn't we rehabilitate the 
the mental institutions and really figure out ways to take better loving care of people who are truly mentally ill, deranged, insufficient, compromised, lovingly. You know, the horror stories came out and some naive legislators decided, we'll just shut down all the mental institutions. Well, now we have those people who, who are not, they're not comfortable trying to function in society. Police officers are not mental health experts. And, and they're not. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think Dr. Martin Luther King would be happy with what he saw today? No, I absolutely do not. Okay. Do you think Malcolm X would be happy with what he saw today? I don't know. I I, I have to confess that I've that I've read and heard um about Malcolm X. I don't pretend to have listened to and studied him. But I know in high school we had spent so much time studying Martin Luther King and and his his speeches, I have a dream and and listening to what an impassioned orator he was. So you tell me, educate me. The message of Dr. Martin Luther King was what? It was peace. Yes, I have a dream. It was love. Yes. It was learning to live together. And the message of Malcolm X was all one of anarchy. Uh, it was it was the the look at of, of the the plight of the black man, the black people. And you know, it's just like in anything in life, people are going to choose a path. And in our world today, I, I don't see a lot. I don't see a lot of medium ground or middle ground, uh, because I think that's slowly being eroded. And I think you've got one group that's saying in society, let's rise above this. Let's, let's learn to live together. And, and you've got another group that says, let's, let's just cause more, more hatred. Let's just cause more division. And then what happens, each one of these two, whichever path it is, has a voice. And, you know, you and I are never going to get off of this. But the voice that people have in the, our society today is created by the media. Yes. And the media today doesn't want to pronounce that voice of hope, of love, of resolution. What they want to do is they want to pour gas on that that other side, that destructive side, that hatred side. Mm. And so what happens is that, and you know, you know what, Deb? I think if you had an opportunity to really do this, really, really, really do this, I think the majority of African Americans in this country today would opt for love. I think this group that's opting for hatred is a very small group compared. But there is so much fear being instilled today that I'm here and I want to speak up. 
but I'm fearful. There was an interview done the other day, and the question was asked, have you noticed that in the past you'd see all these um, signs in people's yards of who they were supporting and who were they going to vote for? And today, you don't see it. And why? Because people are fearful that if they put a Trump-Pence sign in their yard, all of a sudden, all of these people are going to show up. I've noticed all the signs coming down, Black Lives Matter signs coming down, Biden-Harris signs coming down. I think people do not want acrimony in their family, acrimony in their friends. I have, um, I have relationships with people where I'm invited into their family, and these are wonderful people, and they're at polar ends of the spectrum politically and there's so much that cannot be talked about and so there's a whole lot of conversation that doesn't happen and anytime any topic even begins to approach it things shift the energy shifts it starts to get edgy then somebody gets protective And then somebody feels insulted that they're not going to be allowed to speak their mind. And I sit there pretty quietly. (laughs) And then I try to think of something to break the tension. You know, I try to think of some genteel way to be funny. Or to insert something that's so loving that they can't resist it. And and it's exhausting. And and it's worse than exhausting. It's heart-wrenching. I mean, I, I have to tell you, I really, I really, um, I am tired over the last several months, but I'm really tired this week and last week. Started, I think, probably on Thursday, just feeling really tired. And, and, it, and it is only in this moment of my having an epiphany about what it is. It is exhausting to be dialed into people's emotionality and, and dynamics. And to see what's happening. There are friends that I have that I cannot really talk to. There was a there was a lovely gentleman who I recently met and, and we decided, you know, what a what a great friendship this is, you know. <laughs> and then we're talking and it was like, Well, what does the word conservative mean and what does the word liberal mean? I said, well, I'm going to go by some very old-fashioned descriptions because when I was a kid growing up, liberal was not narrow-minded. It was open-minded. And conservative meant that you just knew how to behave yourself, you know? So none of these none of these terms were used as weapons. You damn conservative, you freaking liberal, you stupid. You know, now... All those terms are used to make descriptions that, I don't know, I mean, look them up in the dictionary. I think we're all in this, here's what I think we are in this nation at heart. If you take all the rhetoric and all the cock-a-doodle-doo away, we are a nation of loving, liberal-minded people, meaning open-minded and accepting. We can talk and listen living in a republic with a, de- with a democratic process. 
but you know, I'm I might as well be living back in the 1950s, being June Cleaver or Aunt B. Yeah, you're a dinosaur. Call me Rex. Because, you know, so much of this society is created by the level, the the labels we put on people. Yes. You know, and you know, I, for years I've been one that has really not liked just all these labels we put on kids. Oh my gosh, you and me both. And, and, and then I'm going to say this: it's a little off the subject, but it's not. Okay. I think there is a power group behind all of this that just hides in the shadows. But their power over our society today is astronomical, and that's the pharmaceutical companies. Because I think we have become a junkie society. I mean, you were talking about mental health. You don't have the opportunity to work through things today. Right. Because you're not going to work through it. I'm going to give you a pill. Yeah. And and, and, the, and the insurance companies, you know, this is one of the reasons why I did not choose the path to become a clinical psychologist and get on insurance panels, you know, hold a license, sit on insurance panels and have, have the American Psychological Association say, you will live in this box. <laughs> have the insurance company say, you will see someone for five visits and we will pay you $75. And no, no, you won't. Because the accountants and the the administrators are not going to tell me how to take care of people. So I cut my own paradigm. And and doing what I do, I never tell anybody that I'm a therapist. I'm not. What I do is therapeutic. It's educational. It's very guiding. It's very revolutionary for your life, but I'll be gosh darned, I'm not going to take a dime from insurance unless they're calling me to be a consultant on cases, which they do, and, and, and I will work with people with a guarantee that we will walk through what your challenges are, and the guarantee is we're going to figure out what your goals are together and what the time frame is for acquisition of those goals, and we will get there. We will get there because we're dedicated to it. Well, I, I, and I believe this very strongly, Deb, that so many of the, quote, mental or emotional issues that people face, they're not clinical, they're personal. Yes. Big but difference. Yet, it, and then there's a huge difference. There are people who clinically have problems. Yes. But, you know. It's like this one couple that came to me one time when I was on the church staff, and they brought their 10-year-old boy to me, and they were saying, telling me, he is just unruly. We just can't control it. And I said, well, what do you do? Well, we don't know what to do. What are you going to do? Well, we've got an appointment with a psychiatrist. So I see him three or four weeks later, and I said, I said, how's he doing? They said, well, we took him to the psychiatrist. And he's putting on medication. And I said, what do you have now? He said, well, they said, well, he's, he's not the way he was, but he, he's not himself. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, we have done so many things in this 
country to make us dependent upon drugs rather than actual dealing with the issue that people are facing. I mean, it's just like the series that I've been doing in our webinars on depression. Yeah. I, I don't. I think only probably five percent, and that may be high, of people who suffer depression are clinically depressed. Yeah. The other people are personally depressed. Why? They don't have, they don't have a direction for their life, and you're not going to create a direction by giving me pills yeah. because the pills will mask. They're not going to help me deal with this. And we are a society that uses pharmaceuticals to avoid facing the reality of our life. Yeah. I, yep. I was thinking the other day when I, this was a few years ago when I went and I was I was applying for Medicare and uh, I sat there and I watched this lady in front of me. She was applying for it, and at that time you had to list all the drugs you were on. Oh my gosh! And she had thirty-two different drugs that she was on. I understand. And, and I went there, and the lady said, okay, give me a list of the drugs that you're on. And I said, I'm not on it. She said, you don't take anything? I said, no. And what is it when we convince people you pop a pill and you're cured? I know. I, you know, it, it, I, I'm telling you, we're living in the, we're living in the Jetsons uh, cartoon show. It's, it, you know, when you would, you, you know, you would uh, in, in the space age have, you know, four pills on a plate as a meal. The, the, there's a wholesomeness to life, Richard, that is essential for us to recover. And I do believe, I do, I, I, I can't not be an eternal optimist. I do believe. Um, I, it's one of the reasons why I want to, I want to get property again, you know, out in the country and, and be homesteading. I mean, I, I love, I love both my, both my home locations, one urban and one rural. And I think that both are essential for a number of different reasons, but we, we need to be thinking and performing in ways about self-sufficiency. It doesn't mean everybody has to be a gardener, certainly not a farmer, but we need to look at people in our communities who can provide, you know, community gardens and all that kind of stuff. We need to be less dependent on on pills to help us feel better and move easier and function. And we need to we need to um, be be more educated and and have role models for how do we live a very natural, wholesome life and stave off disease. You know, the greatest science in the world is that medicine, our food is our medicine, and our, our, our minds feed our body. And so we need, we need to be eating good thoughts, drinking in good thoughts, and putting into our mouth good beverage and good foods that are going to feed our cellular activity. And people don't often know, but it's easy to teach them that the reality is what you are, what you eat. And a lot of people are out here eating junk. Well, don't you think a lot of this comes back to uh, whether I love or not love myself? Yes. Okay. And 
I, I think, again, one of the things that's missing today is we don't, we don't show people how to take care of their self. Now, uh, nutrition-wise, it's all over the place. But when it comes to the mental and the emotional health, you know what most people are looking for? They're looking for hype. Yeah. They're, they're looking for that moment where they can walk across those cold, those, those embers out of, of red, and they're not going to get their feet burnt until they get off of it, and the next day their feet are sore. You know, we, we live in a world where everybody's looking for the moment. And the challenge I have with a lot of people, people come to me and they, they want to know, would you work with me? And so I do my interview with them and ask me, how long do you think this will take? And I tell them at least a year. They go, well, can't you fix me in a moment? I mean, can't we just, don't we, can't we just have one or two sessions and we fix this? I ask them, how long did it take you to get this way? Yeah. <laughs> okay, because what we've got to do, we've got to reformat your thinking about yourself. Most of us, we don't have a picture we create. We have a picture that other people have handed us of us. It takes a, it takes a lot of work to get to know yourself. You know, and it's, it's painful. You and I are adorable because we take notes on what one another says. <clears throat> Reformat your thinking of yourself. That is a whole program. But you know, you know about my childhood. And, you know, my mother told me three things about me from the age of six to the age of 16. I, they're vivid in my mind. My mother would tell me I was the stupidest kid she ever met. I'd never amount to anything in life, and she was sorry they ever adopted me. Oh, now, Lord, yeah. my mother was programming me. I know. Okay? And so we know parents never lie to kids. I mean, they never lie to a child. It took me a long time to deprogram my mother's message to me. But I did it. And when I did that, I was free to be me. Most of us are not free to be ourselves. We're controlled by what we want other people to feel about us. So we give up being ourselves, being authentic. And, and, and we become what we think pleases other people. And in the process, we lose ourselves. It's like why, why my number four law for my life, why I spend my energy being a carbon copy when I'm the original. And it, it takes a lot of work to be an original. Yeah, it does. Because you know this as well as I do. The more you want to do with your life, the fewer people you can have in your life. Oh, this is very true. <clears throat> and we have to be very particular about, yes, because we have to make the investment of time by ourselves to accomplish, to think things through clearly, and we have to be very, very discerning and very clear about the energy and the attitude and the well-being of those people who we allow into our innermost circle. I am amazed at how I keep thinning the herd. Well, and, and, and go back to something you were talking about. If the home is not a place of strength for the family, then those in that home are going to go find someone who defines love for them. Yeah. This is what keeps gangs alive. They take these, these people whose 
come from these dysfunctional homes and they invite them into their family and they make them feel important and make, they feel, make them feel valuable. Yeah. And, and it just rips away at the fiber of, of what love is about. And, you know, I was reading this morning because this concept of love has just been in my head this morning. But uh, when, you, when you look about, you look at love, it's patient, mm-hmm. it's kind, which is the kind factor. Mm-hmm. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil. And in 1 Corinthians 13, there is the picture of love. But I look at, I look at our society today, and I find a hard time finding a lot of these. Oh, no. We'll never get along if we hate each other. And, you know, I guess it's just me, but I watch the Pelosi's and the Schumer's. And these people, and I like, I look at their disdain for President Trump. And it's not about the fact they disagree with him. They hate him. I know. Here's the thing that really bothers me. And you and I are in agreement across the board about everything. I can't think of anything that we, I mean, we'll tussle with each other every now and again. But it's articulation and wordsmithing. I think that we have a leader, our president right now, who has accomplished things that are irrefutable. But I get embarrassed by the way that he talks and the way that he calls people names. I, you'll notice I never call people just by their last name. It's President Trump. It's Joe Biden. It's Kamala Harris. It's Nancy Pelosi. It's Chuck Schumer. And I and I do that only because I'm and I'm and I'm not saying anything about that that you call people by their last names because I know it's not disrespectful. It's a trend. I am trying to interrupt a trend because the level of disrespect that there is is just appalling. Whether you support our, the president of the United States of America or not, you owe him the respect as an American citizen to not do small T capital R rump and, 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 and use that as a ploy for calling him an ass. You owe it to the country to not embarrass us in the face of the world any more than you should ever disrespect your mother or your father and embarrass them in front of the family or in front of the neighborhood or the community or the world when they're your mother and father and, and you are out here in the world performing as their, as their offspring. The, the ways in which people have decided, you know what? I don't care what good you do. I hate you. What do you mean you hate someone? Where does the hatred come from? If someone is obnoxious, then we have to pull them over to the side and try to have conversations or consults or something with them to get them to understand the impact. But I can't explain why everybody behaves the way that they do. 
but I, I do want people to really focus on what it is, what it is that, that we're doing and, and what it is that we're fighting for really, because I'm scared to death. I, I really am. I'm just absolutely scared to death. Now I, w- I want us to end the show the next six minutes on a, on a, on an upbeat note with people having hope and optimism, but I am scared to death that people are voting against someone who has accomplished great things for our country in terms of the stock market, unemployment, opportunities for minorities, and and saying, we hate you, so we're going to vote for an equalization that, excuse me if I'm an ignoramus and I'm wrong, sure looks like socialism to me, sure looks like Marxism to me, and if you're for Black Lives Matter and you don't understand that Marx was a racist, then you need to go and, and do some homework. Do you, know why, do you know why there's so much hatred toward Trump? Why? Because they can't control him. Well, yeah. And, you know, to me, hatred is a byproduct of, of my not being able to control you. And Washington has always been... The little, the little ducks had just walked in order. I remember, uh, you know, the Peabody Hotel has the ducks. Yeah. And, uh, and I was on a Delta flight where they actually flew the ducks into Nashville when they were opening that hotel. And the ducks flew first class. <laughs> no one could get off of the plane until the ducks got off. And there went the ducks down the concourse walking right behind each other. Oh, my goodness. And things, if it walks like a duck, it sounds like a duck. <laughs> it's a duck. <laughs> and what's happened in Washington is Washington for years has all been about two things, power and control. And there, there's always been a president that could, could be controlled. And the thing about President Trump is that they can't control him. If they can't control him, then they don't like him. He won't play by the rules. He is about not about protecting politicians. He's about building this country. And he's proven he can do it in spite of. And that's what they hate. And I tell you, I'd hate to be this person right now that's going to be nominated for the Supreme Court. Because I don't care how good they are. They're going to be annihilated. Yeah. And, you know, but I I think one of the things, and this is just me, I know we're almost out of time. (laughs) I think what they're going to face, because he's narrowed it now, I think, to three Three women. Okay. And I don't think any of these men will be able to stand up to these women. Wow. I, I think I think these women are, are probably more powerful than they are. And they'll castrate them. I must say that I have backed off. I am I am ignorant, naive. I I, I I ha- we can we can continue that discussion, and it'll be very interesting for us next Tuesday because I'm sure there'll be progress made between now and then. It'll be announced on Friday or Saturday. Well, so here's what I want to do. I I want to I want to leave our our listeners on on a few healthy notes. Number one, there's a lot of love between you and me here on this show. There is more people doing yoga and meditation than maybe ever before. In the United States, thank goodness for that, and and we have got an organic foods movement that is alive, thriving, and vibrant. 
Uh, we don't seem to have a shortage of food the way that was predicted. The numbers for the virus are decreasing and diminishing. And um, it's autumn. Happy autumn today is the very first day of autumn, which means we're in transition. And we're going to see beautiful colors. And talk about a way to have a celebration of color. If it's not of skin, it's of leaves and nature. Maybe we could just follow that lead and appreciate color everywhere and non-specific to gender and just, you know, like let's take our hearts and our minds and spread as much love and goodness as we both have all over both of our spheres of influence. Cause Lord knows we've got them. Um, I think for me, if we could stop talking in singular pronouns and start talking in plural pronouns, yeah. we would change the message. Okay. I think also, that if we can learn to look at life from the inside out, not the outside in, and understand that love begins with what I with where I feel about me. And you know, I told you this before, and we've both said it. I see a human that God created. Yes. And if you know, if you're if you want to be a person of color, that's your choice. But I don't see you as black, white, pink, orange, blue. I don't see you that way. I see you as a person that God created. Yes. And on that happy note, we agree. And friends, this is your host and host, Richard Flint and Dr. Deb Carlin on No Apologies. We're talking. Yeah, if, they, if they want to reach us, how can they reach us? They can reach me at Richard at RichardFlint.com. And they can reach you at Deb at drdebcarlin.com. Until next time, folks. We're signing out. Till next Tuesday.